Hello there, and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis Podcast. And it's 2023, tennis is back, we're in Australia, and the first Grand Slam of the year is upon us. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Trahiri Ravi. Trahiri, how are you getting on? How's your... Uh, I'm pretty good, Nick. Uh, yeah, it's been a couple of months since we really spoke about tennis uh, on this podcast or any of our Twitter spaces. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, like you mentioned just before we started the show, it was a well-deserved break um, in that there was a lot that happened in the 2022 season. Uh, we've just managed to uh, rest and rehab for the upcoming season, with which has begun with the Netflix documentary Breakpoint releasing. Um, obviously, you know, it was met with a lukewarm reception to, you know, to put it in the best manner. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Australian Open. Um, obviously, one of the main reasons being Novak Djokovic is back, my favorite player and the best player uh, men's tennis has seen at the Australian Open. Uh, so yeah, obviously, you want the best players competing as well, just from a tennis perspective. So yes, I'm really excited. Um, and I'm also excited to uh, get the second season of the Popcorn Tennis Podcast going. And what better way to do that? Uh, you know, than talking about the first Grand Slam of the year. Yeah, agreed. I think, let's face it, I think a lot of people probably tuning into tennis around about this point. We have had a couple of weeks um, already of tennis with um, the United Cup. Um, plenty of tennis going on in Adelaide with ATP 250 and two WTA 500s, plus all the tennis happening in Auckland, not to forget Hobart. Um so there's been some stuff to talk about, which we'll probably feed into uh, talking about Australia. Um, and uh, there's no reason to, there's no reason why we shouldn't um, get going. So um, why don't we start with the, the men's draw? Um, and um, let's talk a bit more. So obviously we've talked about the best players um, of being involved. And uh, I think that kind of, I, that, that kind of leads to two points off the front of that, but um think I want to ask you this question uh Shahiri, before we kind of look into uh kind of how the tournament might go how much is the draw at Australia hurt by the absence of Carlos Alcaraz significantly I should say because we had if you thought about you know two competitors two of the top contenders you know uh from the top of our heads it would be Djokovic and Alcaraz in that order I think for most people um, and to have the world number one and the most recent Grand Slam champion from men's tennis missing, uh, it is a pretty big blow because we also missed him at the ATP finals, you know, one of the several several biggest events that we have on the men's tour. Um, so, yeah, it's really unfortunate that he has, I, I guess, met with another injury aside from the one that he was uh, struggling with towards the end of uh, Paris Bercy and which also led to him pulling out of the ATP finals was struggling when he came back uh, uh, you know in that exhibition tournament in Abu Dhabi he lost I think to Kasper Ruud and Rublev who pretty comfortably to both players and we knew that you know he wasn't there yet probably just you know recovered from the injury but turns out uh, you know he's hit another setback which I think it's really unfortunate, um, but then again, I you know at the same time the draw is still 
pretty stacked. And when you do have both Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal in the same main draw. And I also came across this tweet which said that the last time Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal were both in the men's main draw of a slam, uh, the only time neither player won the Grand Slam was in the 2018 Australian Open, which is five years ago. Roger Federer went on to win that. So... I still think, and, you know, with players like Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniel Medvedev, Felix, Ojeal Yassim, Casper Ruud and Taylor Fitz, we have, uh, you know, pretty stacked lineup anyway. And, you know, there's a lot of depth in the top 10 and top 15 uh, of the men's rankings. So, yes, big blow, but at the same time, I I think it's not, uh, it's a void that we can work around. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I don't see um, Alcaraz's absence as massively detracting from the draw. I'm still very excited by what we're going to see, what uh, kind of tennis is going to get produced by this amazing depth of field we're seeing across the ATP now. Um, fabulous stats um, to hear about Djokovic and Nadal when they both play. Um, if neither of them win, it's going to be Roger, which, uh, you know, he's not around anymore, but... Uh, I'm, I'm still still pleases me as uh, still a diehard fan of his, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of what happens. Um, I mean, talking of Djokovic winning, um, it seems fairly inevitable that he's going to win the tenth Australian Open. Surely, I I feel that way. Yes, uh, sure. As a fan, it's sometimes difficult to you know look at it the same way as someone who's more objective or you know someone who's neutral uh so to speak would look at um you know proceedings but you know as a fan you always feel like you probably shouldn't be overestimating your favorite player or overestimating anything that could happen you always think about so many intangibles you know so many uh outside circumstances like we saw last year nobody expected you know whatever happened to happen but uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely a little worried when I saw Novak struggle with the hamstring, uh, and there was a lot of pressure on it as well. But thankfully, it seemed like a minor niggle. Uh, he does. It, it looks like the strapping is off. We did watch him play that exhibition against uh, Nick Kyrgios. He he moved perfectly fine to me, which is good news. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, I think. He really loves playing here. He's the most successful men's player on this court, on Rod Laver Arena. And the last time he played, he obviously, you know, got that abdomen injury, really controversial uh, proceedings there. But then, you know, we saw what happened. He still came through the likes of Alexander Zverev and Medvedev. And also, I think, Raonic in the fourth round, you know, the match that he was unsure he would take to court for. Um so, yeah, I still think that's the kind of stranglehold he has over the players in general at this moment uh, on the ATP Tour and, you know, at this particular venue. Uh, that's why I have so much confidence in him. But then, obviously, things can definitely get spicy uh, as the rounds uh, would go on as far as his draw is concerned because he does have, I think, Dimitrov in the third round. That could definitely get tricky if Dimitrov is feeling it. He has um, a familiar foe in Karenio Busta, who, who he could face in the fourth round. Uh, you know, we all are aware of some of you know the matches that he's played against Karenio Busta. Those 
the match in Monte Carlo 2017, which went the distance. Of course, the infamous 2020 US Open fourth round, which saw Novak Djokovic getting disqualified from the tournament. Uh, you know, right after he got broken in the 12th game of the first set and the match and, you know, accidentally hitting that line judge. We don't have to talk about that, obviously. Uh, and then they also, uh, you know, had that RG clash, you know, a month later where, um, you know, Djokovic squeezed through in four sets. He, again, he was not 100%, but, and it's also worth noting that, you know, PCB is not really fond of clay, but, you know, despite that, he's managed to push Djokovic on that surface. And he also obviously beat Djokovic in the bronze medal match at um, the Olympics a year and a half ago. So, and of course, uh, I personally think, and I think we, you know, we did exchange a couple of tweets earlier today, both of us having Nick Curios making the quarterfinal. You know, that again, that is going to be a read. That, that's going to be a blockbuster encounter. We know that for sure. Um, and it, fairly confident that Nick will make it there. Um, you know, considering it is a workable draw for him and he is in that headspace where he needs to be. So, and we always, we did, uh, you know, witness what he could do at the Slams last year, scoring wins against Pass and Medvedev. Pretty big wins, I should say. Making making it all the way to the final in Wimbledon, losing out in five sets marginally to Hachinov at the US Open in the quarterfinal. So, you know, you never know. And there's also talks about him retiring if he manages to win a slam, let alone, you know, the Australian Open uh, that's about to start in just about 26 hours from now, um, I think. But, yeah, that's how it is, I guess. And let's see, you know, let's see where he goes. And, you know, he might as well be sent packing by Richard Gasquet in the second round. You never know. But... As far as Novak Djokovic is concerned, that's what it's like, you know, just from the draw perspective. We, I, I personally don't want to talk about any, um, you know, intangibles as far as he's concerned because I, at this point, I'm confident enough that you know he is no matter what, uh, what's thrown at him, uh, considering the success he's had at this venue and considering the kind of tennis he's been playing ever since I want to say Rome last year. Only lost three matches on tour, one of them being at the Labor Cup. I don't think people put too much weight on that loss to Felix. Um, or let's you know wind the clock back to that Rafael Nadal loss at RG. He's been an absolute beast since. So there's just so much uh, you know belief that we Djokovic fans have in him and belief that he has in himself. Um, so yes, heavy favorite, I should say. Uh, I do have a pretty interesting pick for who the second favorite is, but we'll get to that in you know in a bit. Yeah, I mean, I haven't spoken to you about this, but I think our second favorite might be the same person. Um, but I'm interested to see how that turns out. But on Djokovic, um, I completely agree. I think his um, if you look at it, yeah, as I said, history-wise, he's um. Uh, yeah, like he's only ever really lost the Australian Open in sort of the last decade and a bit. So I'm talking 2011 onwards, when he's either been injured or isn't quite there mentally, or he's still in the early stage of recovery from an injury, or he's uh, or probably both. Let's face it, that as that incident you referred to in 2021, he kind of won that Australian Open whilst injured, uh, but mentally was still engaged. So I think both kind of have to go 
or he plays another top quality opponent who um, is in um, unbelievable form. So what happened with Stan Wawrinka in 2014 when they had this sort of awesome rivalry going uh, in Australia and the US. We can Uh, never forget that trilogy. And I'm not really sure. I think Wawrinka, I don't know which section of the draw he's in. Uh, I know that in, he could he could play Felix, so he is in the top half, right? Um, yeah, he's he in play the top Felix half. in the second round. Um, but yeah, that trilogy was just amazing from twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen. Obviously, twenty fifteen semifinal being the you know poorest quality match amongst all of them. I think twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, those two matches were just unbelievable. Especially if you're looking at it from Wawrinka's perspective, that was such a uh, nice full circle or nice arc. For him, as far as his career is concerned, he has that really gutting loss in 2013, leaving the court in tears, losing 12-10 in the fifth. And that match really could have gotten away from Novak really quickly because he was 6-1-5-2 down in no time, really. Uh, Yeah, because Stan was just playing some unbelievable tennis. And I think that that was the foundation that was set for, as far as Wabrinka was concerned, you know, to win the three stamps that he did win, beating Djokovic en route. Uh, two of them, obviously, he beat Djokovic in the final itself. But, yeah, I think what Wawrinka has done, uh, you know, in his career has been really special. And it all started here in Australia. And we obviously have to talk about that 2014, or at least mention the 2014 quarterfinal match, because I was so confident that Novak was winning the Australian Open because, you know, very similar... Um, circumstance if you think about it uh since that u.s open lost to nadal um he didn't lose a match until the australian open quarterfinal he was just that good um but yeah it, you know that happened and obviously novak was up a break in the fifth um Wawrinka just played some unbelievable tennis i think as far as novak goes not much not too many regrets except for those last two points the way he played them um you know approaching the net on both points uh, but and that volley to finish it off that was atrocious. I don't know what he was thinking, serving volley match point down. I couldn't believe it once Wawrinka raised his arms and you know he knew that he won. I still couldn't believe it. I was in shock. But anyway, uh, yeah. And as I don't know if this is really a knock on the current field, but it's just hard to envision. Or you know, the fact that Djokovic has definitely. Um, you know, grown a lot as far as mental strength goes since that uh, tournament, since that match, because as we know, he's pretty much been a different animal since that 2014 Wimbledon final, which he squeaked out against Federer. Um, I think he's won uh, 14 or 15 finals and lost just three um, after he lost that RG final uh, to Rafael Nadal in 2014. It was six and seven. Slam final. Yes, slam finals. Right. And then since then, he's been 15-3, and three, which is a dramatic turnaround. Um, so, yeah, it's probably a bit of both. You know, maybe there isn't that player who is straight up Djokovic's kryptonite. You could just take him out, even if he's playing at a really high level. But, yeah, we'll see. You know, again, this is why we love tennis. We just don't know what's happening. You know, last year's edition being testament to that. Or we saw Nadal you know, pulling the rabbit out of the hat against Medvedev and just clinching the title, really. Nobody expected him to do that, let alone from that position. But, yeah, I think 
that, you know, as far as Novak goes, that's really uh, interesting to see if, you know, there are any surprises in store as far as he's concerned. Would he uh, be sent packing by anybody who plays the tennis of their life? Um, it, you know, it depends really on a lot of things. But yeah, yeah I think probably should uh, talk about the other favorites that we may have. Uh, should start with the top half, I guess. You know, if you uh, well, to show respect to both the top seed and the defending champion. Well, I was, well, yeah, I was going to kind of say, um, I mean, like, I just want to sort of wrap up on, um, I, I, I think I was going to say that uh, who do you have reaching the final against Djokovic in the top half? Uh, I have someone else on the fantasy, but as if well, who do you I actually were to think? pick, I pick Medvedev <laughs> to make the final. Okay. And but then my heart says, or my brain says, I should say, that it's Nadal who make the final. Interesting. Yes, yeah. and, and both of those are good choices because Medvedev, we know he's reached well. Is it? It's the last two Australian Open finals. Yes, he's very good on the hard court. He seems to have got his mojo back, and actually, he is the kind of player who, if he played the tennis of his life, could beat Djokovic. Yeah. Um, as we were talking about before. Yes, um, he does so, like that player. So, uh, yeah, Medvedev is a good choice um, to to reach the final for me because um, he's um, because of that record. Obviously, for me, there are some question marks given how he was in twenty twenty two. He seems to reset very well beginning twenty twenty three, but then had was a little bit lackluster against Djokovic Adelaide. Yes, um, which was a bit odd. And that was the one concern, but he was beating. The guys he was supposed to beat. So, um, yeah, let's let's stick with Medvedev for now, and then we'll move on to top seed and defending champion. Yeah, but yeah. What are your thoughts on where Medvedev is at, and what's giving you the confidence to put him in your final? I think that you know uh, Medvedev is looking for revenge on both Nadal and Djokovic. More so Nadal, because he thinks that once he puts Nadal to bed, uh, he can slowly start to you know, restore all of his confidence, because that's where it all capitulated for him, really. Um, so he will definitely be uh, rearing to go for that match. Um, number two, I would say, is... Yeah, that's there. And I don't think Nadal is you know, in his best shape. Um, doesn't have to be in his best shape, of course, to get through a match like, say, against Medvedev, against Tsitsipas, or most of the tour, let's say. And the same goes with Djokovic as well. But at the same time, I just think, if uh, if I could put it this way, if Medvedev is to get revenge over Nadal, I think this would be the best way to do it, best time to do it. Um, and since obviously, you know, whenever Medvedev says, oh yeah, now I think I'm feeling good on court, I think I can beat so-and-so players, he's more often than not gone on to do it. Um, I remember at RG uh, a couple of years ago, he he not won a match at RG at that point, and he was the number, world number two and also seeded second, of course, for RG 2021, and he said that, oh yeah, I practiced uh, on court Philippe Chatrier, I think I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, this court is playing very similar to a hard court. 
And I thought, okay, I think he's that's just his way of getting, you know, expectations off his shoulders. But he came through that draw filled with pretty tricky players who actually did well in the clay season. He had, he had Bublik in the first round, made the quarterfinal in Madrid. He had Tommy Paul, who is a tricky player at any given time, especially in the second round, it's pretty dangerous. Um, obviously, and he had Opelka and Garin, uh, who I think Garin also made the quarterfinal in Madrid, lost to, uh, I think, Berrettini. And uh, Opelka made the semis in Rome. So he beat those players pretty com- convincingly. And I even thought he would beat Tsitsipas. But of course, Tsitsipas played some of his very best tennis um, to beat Medvedev. And even though straight sets, I think, um, you know, it very much could have been a scenario where Tsitsipas was down two sets to one. Uh, but yeah, and Medvedev, I think he showed that he can definitely play on the surface. Um so when he does say that he's feeling good and that he thinks he can beat the best players or he thinks he can uh, go deep, he usually does. And I think for him, uh, you, you know, the best news would be uh, that this is the one tournament where he's defending, you know, substantial amount of points that he has. Uh, and then once the Australian Open is done again, you know, the entire um you know, tour is there for the taking as far as points, you know, points is concerned for, you know, for him. Uh, pretty much the entire clay season, then there's the sunshine double weight. Again, didn't gain too many points last year. Um, the His favorite part of the season from, you know, the North American hard court swing all the way to the end of the season, barely has any points. So I think uh, that would definitely give him a lot of confidence. And since he's mentioned a lot, not just uh, before this tournament, but uh, but several times last year that he wants revenge over Nadal, I think he might just end up pulling it off. But, you know, we know how it, you know, more often than not pans out if Nadal and Medvedev are probably battling it out in the fifth set. You kind of know who is the one who is <laughs> likely to come out on top. But anyway, I think, you know, Medvedev, would probably win that, but you know, in similar fashion to on maybe Nadal beat him, probably a close five setter. And it looks like Nadal doesn't have that mojo really. Where, or you know, worst case scenario for Medvedev is that that's the matchup when Nadal could probably find it because he has lost pretty close matches to Nori and Diminor and also to Tommy Paul at Bercy last year. That match got away from him pretty quickly. So yes, his uh, I should say his aura has definitely dissipated quite a bit since I should say Indian Wells or maybe even RG. Even though he did win RG, he just didn't look that convincing at all. Aside from that Djokovic match, or aside from that final, um, we nobody had him going five sets against Felix. Let's be honest. So uh, definitely, you know, he looks a lot more beatable right now. And last year there was that bit of, I should say, ambiguity because you didn't know what to expect really from him because he's coming back from an injury layoff. And yes, he did beat some quality players like Shapovalov and Berrettini and Hachinov coming into uh, the final. And, you know, obviously he had that pretty favorable matchup on paper against Medvedev. But, you know, that was always there. But I, you know, maybe that's not, you know, the case this time. Yeah, um, I would... 
probably agree with that because I was going to start talking about the Dal. Because if you look on paper, on paper, the Dal is the second favourite just because he's a double Australian champion. Obviously, he's a 22 time major champion. He and Djokovic are two of the greatest players of all time. Um, and his his kind of his record, he had a great 2022 season. And what we're kind of holding back on is how he was in the back part of 2022 when he only won one match rude at the tour finals. Yeah. Um, he hasn't won a match, um, an actual kind of tour match um, in 2023 yet. He's lost to Cameron Norrie and Alex Dimonor. Um And actually, if you look at his record, so since coming, trying to come back from this injury, he sustained at Wimbledon, um, an ab injury, was it? Um, yes. Yeah, he has actually been losing to players who are in the seeds, like would be seeded at slams. Um, if you like people like Tommy Paul in Paris, things like that. So um, that's probably why people are a little bit concerned against Jack Draper. I don't, but here's the thing it's Rafael Nadal, and you should never rule him out because we know, again, he surprised us in Australia last year. We didn't know how he was going to be coming in a bit cold. He won a title in Melbourne, but the quality opposition he faced wasn't that high on that title run. Um, so for me, you can never rule out the doubt. That being said, um, I think you and I are on the kind of same page as Wednesday because you said that sort of in your head, Nadal's a second favourite as well. Um, and we both think that the, he's going to play Medvedev in the quarterfinals. And I also think Medvedev's going to get revenge and beat Nadal in that quarterfinal. Um, I'm liking it a little bit to, if you think of previous Australian Opens, um, Sitsi Pass getting that revenge on Nadal in 2021. Dominic team getting revenge in 2020 um, for more for US Open than Australian yeah. Open. Still, I can get a, a turn the tables in that rivalry. So um, I would not be surprised if Daniel Medvedev added himself to to that list at the quarterfinal stage. Um, that being said, I also probably wouldn't be that surprised if Rafael Nadal came storming through and said, "What are you all worried about? I always reset just before a slam, storm his yep. way to a final against Novak Djokovic, which would be epic." It would be, yeah. I mean, we hope it would be if they do meet in the final. Um, but yeah, I think probably Medvedev, if Medvedev beats Nadal, uh, it's it's pass. The City pass matchup is definitely looking a lot more different than it has looked last couple of years. Even last year, I thought maybe Sitsipas could beat him just considering how much tennis Medvedev had played and the fact that he almost lost to Felix. But I think Medvedev played really well, even though if you looked at... This is why I'm still not convinced that Sitsipas has turned around that matchup completely against Medvedev because let's say Medvedev did win the Australian Open. I probably don't think he loses those two matches that he did against Sitsipas. Um, mm-hmm. It was just the confidence that he was lacking to put away a top 10 player. Um, and the way he lost, I think, pretty brutal the way he lost the, all of his matches at the ATP Finals, like 7-6 in the third, all of them. That's That's got to suck. Um, but, I mean, that being said, I think, you know, that, that's why I'm not convinced. And if Medvedev does beat Nadal, I think, you know, he should be beating Tsitsipas, you know, unless, you know... What Tsitsipas has done to beat Medvedev again, it's still, you know, to be questioned as to whether or not that is sustainable to do over five sets. 
of tennis. Uh, yes, you know, he does mix up a lot. He, you know, he, I think his serve placement has been excellent in the last two wins against Medvedev. You know, he's sort of pinned Medvedev to a corner. He's made his tactics look predictable, I should say. And also, you know, charging to the net and finishing off the point. He's been excellent at net, but then again, can you sustain that for five sets? That's the question that remains to be answered. Hope, hopefully, they do meet if Medvedev beats Nadal. I have Medvedev and Tsitsipas in the semifinal, in the, uh, you know, in the top half. I have Djokovic and Rude in the bottom half. Of course, you have Berrettini instead of Rude. You have Berrettini uh, beating Rude, if I'm not mistaken, in the fourth round. Um, yeah, if, if it is Rude and Fritz, I think that quarterfinal would be really fascinating. Uh, they played a really good match in Turin last year. Um, so, yeah, I think Fritz is another player we shouldn't be sleeping sleeping on at all. Excellent draw that, you know, he got. Couldn't have asked for a better draw, really. You know, amazing run of form that he has at the moment. Uh, yes, he lost to Nori, but, you know, probably, he'll probably get him back the next time they play or something like that. It's like six and six in that head-to-head. Um yeah, and what if we end up getting a Fritz versus Nori Australian Open final? You never know, right? Uh, I would. That would. That would go five sets. Let's be honest, it that would. would go for sure. I'm not sure tennis purists would enjoy that matchup, um, but I would. Um, not just because I'm a Brit, but also because I do like the fact that it would be really close. It would be really tense. And they are both really great tennis players. And you may find some of their styles a bit ugly, particularly Norrie, but um or a bit weird. I, I find the way Norrie how high Norrie holds his left hand, you know, right hand up on the backhand side, almost to the throat of the back, a little bit weird. Um yeah. but uh, it I've, works. Right. I've actually and, grown to appreciate Norrie, even though I'm not exactly fond of his game where I will defend him completely is you know when people say he's you know he shouldn't be anywhere in the top 10 or top 15 I oh, always ridiculous yeah. yes that's a really ridiculous statement to make at this point I mean the guy's a grand slam semi-finalist he's won you know a master's title uh, he's also made the quarters and semis of several other multiple masters events He's beaten Carlos Alcaraz. He's beaten Rafael Nadal. He's beaten Stefano Tsitsipas. You know, a lot of you know big necks that he has taken out, uh, big heads, I should say. But yeah, you know, all that said and done, and he also gave Novak, you know, run for his money for you know quite some time in that Wimbledon semifinal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is quite ridiculous for anyone to make the claim that oh, you know, Nori is not a top tier player. He definitely is. You don't have to like his game style, but his hustle and, you know, the body of work is all there. Um, And that's obviously not just all that there is, you know. It's the consistency uh, just in his game and how, you know, tactically really smart he is as well. Um, He's not the player who is the most flashy when it comes to weapons or, you know, who's a hot shot player exactly. But, you know, he... He knows how to get the job done and he is racking up wins consistently, making the uh you know, making it deep in most of the big events of you know what what more could he ask from a top player? Um yeah, some of his losses you would start to wonder. I think uh 
the one loss that I should say was quite surprising to me. Not 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 who he lost to, but the way he lost. I think it was that US Open fourth round last year to Rublev that he lost. Which I think mm-hmm. was four, four and four or something to that effect, which I yeah. did not expect. Um but anyway, you know, you just never know. I have I have George beating him. Not sure which round. I think that's the third round. Uh Simply because Chorich beat him in Cincinnati, that that's pretty much all I'm going off of, really. Um, but yeah, and also Chorich, I think he would love to turn it up because if this is a pretty good draw for him. All things said and done, he can beat Felix, beat Felix as well multiple times, not just um, in Cincinnati last year, but also I think it was in Rome, twenty nineteen. Um, but yeah, I think Chorich also is someone who would love to step up on these occasions and he has the draw to do it. He's yeah. not beating Sitsipas though because I think Steph, now that he's beaten Church, um, he's definitely gotten that monkey off the back and he should be, he should definitely play a lot more freely. Um, you could see that burden still lingering in that United Cup match that they played. Uh, it's it was, it was insane, but you know, Sitsipas came back and you know that 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 took a lot of willpower for sure because I thought it was buried once Chorich went four one up. And he ch- had chances again to, you know, get the break right back to serve serve it out five three. But I think Steph he's figure he's slowly figuring that out, which I do wanna probably I would I'll give him the edge in that category amongst all of the players in his generation that he is most likely to come out on top when he's not playing at his best, which he's doing that on a very consistent basis off late. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always thought Medvedev can definitely, you know, I think last year, the season that he had sort of has skewed my perception a bit now, but uh, you just never know, right? Probably an anomaly. It, it definitely is considering the seasons he had from 19 to 21, but yeah, so I have Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Djokovic and Rude as the semifinals. Uh, I also, as far as first round exits or early uh, upsets are concerned, I have team beating Rublev in the opening round. And what are your thoughts on that? Okay, we've made a lot of points I actually really want to come back on. Right. Um, yeah, let's do that and then we'll get back to this. Um. So... Um, and they're all on on Norrie, on Chorich, on City. Yes. Um, and then maybe go to the first round exit. I think that's a good discussion to have. But okay, so Chorich, yes. Um, and like he's, you know, he's got the twenty twenty two form. He's got the twenty twenty three form. Potentially go deep. What I find is Chorich is quite a streaky player in terms of form, and often when he peaks, um, the next I mean, he needs to, he can't quite achieve it. So I'm thinking Cincinnati title yes. followed up with going out the first round of the US Open. Yes, um, and Harley 2018 followed by Wimbledon first round as well. You're so right. He performed very well at the United Cup and pushed Tsitsipas, could have got Croatia potentially into the semifinals. But I'm thinking now, actually, he's going to be vulnerable in Australia. He probably might win a couple of matches, but then... That means that, in my mind, if he does have a matchup against Norrie, Norrie wins it. Because in my mind, Norrie's actually got incredible form. He's coming into the um, Australian Open 
having got a couple of top 10 wins under his belt because he beat Nadal and Fritz at the United Cup. And he's one of the only male, sort of male number one players in terms of the teams um, yeah. who was unbeaten that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so I would, I, I have Nori in my quarterfinals. Um, I think, though, he will lose to Pass, And this is kind of the other point I wanted to make as a round off on Pass. Um, I was very impressed with Stefano Sitsipas in the United Cup, uh, particularly the Chorich match and the Berrettini match. Yes. The watch tennis he produced, the level he maintained was super impressive. Um, he executed his game really well. He seemed to have, like, he seemed to have shaken off some of the shadows of 2022 where he didn't quite look himself. and like, he, he looked more like Sitsipas that we recognised in 2021. Yes. Um, and for me... Looking, looking at that, that like he impressed me. I thought this guy, if it wasn't for Djokovic and Nadal, would be going into the Australian Open as one of the favourites, if not the favourite. Yep. Um, and so, and I'm looking at that potential Medvedev semi-final, which we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, who would probably be his biggest challenge, and I think he beats Medvedev, not because, not just because he's won his last, their last two matches, because. Yes, he has. I think the momentum is very much with him in the rivalry now. But also, I I would find it a ridiculous statistic that he would lose four consecutive semi-finals to Daniel Medvedev. Right. Um, and I like like that sort of going kind of like what May may talk about um, with meta narratives. Like that narrative doesn't quite fit in my head. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think this would be the year since he passed finally get to revenge in Medvedev, over Medvedev at the Australian Open because. You're right. Those last match he played was at, it went four sets. It was pretty close. It was actually, and um, Tsitsipas pushed Medvedev, and he's been getting closer every time. So yep. for me, I think Tsitsipas makes the Australian Open final. Mm. I think Djokovic be a step too far if it's Djokovic in the final. If it's anyone else. Suddenly, I'm looking at Tsitsipas potentially winning it. Yeah, you know, if it's Djokovic and Tsitsipas, it can get a little scary because. Um, Something to the effect of Nick Kyrgios saying the worst thing that can happen to a tennis player is going up a set six love. Similarly, being 10-2 against your opponent in the Grand Slam final, it it seems like the only way it's down from there. I don't know. Uh, because who has more to lose? Obviously, Djokovic is unbeaten in Australian Open finals. He is, yeah, 9-0 and in Australian Open Finals, 9 in a row against Sitsipas in their head-to-head. Going to that match, Sitsipas, like, I have nothing to lose here. Um, you just never know, right? But at the same time, someone like Medvedev, I think it, it it's, it's probably just more even in Novak's head, even in the sense that he knows that this is going to get tough. It will be tough. Um and you just it, it it will probably get to that stage where you know it's it's just a matter of who is more clutch and who is uh I guess more likely to come out of such matches. But with Tsitsipas just I don't know, I just it it it's giving me those Wawrinka Djokovic matches at slabs because I think going into that Australian Open uh, fourth round in 2013, if I remember correctly, Djokovic's head-to-head was 11-2 and two or something like that against Wawrinka, right? So 
this might just be, you know, Sitsipas' oh. arc. Yeah. Um, oh, that would be amazing. Could you imagine that five-set final? I, I still think Djokovic would win it. Um, yeah. He could, um, yes. And if 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 Djokovic does do it from two sets down, I think Sitsipas would definitely hit Djokovic from there. Like losing well, second time he would have done it to him in a Grand Slam final because that yeah exactly. I mean the same way you know Med- Nadal to Medvedev, Djokovic to Sitsipas. I would say <laughs> very much. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean that being said, I'm also really intrigued by what would happen if Nadal and Sitsipas face off. Uh, in the semis, so regardless, I think that would depend on that would depend on who Nadal had to get through for me. I think right. I think if he had to get if he had to get through Medvedev, I think he might be a little gassed against if it was Sitsipas again, and especially since Sitsipas seems to got a foothold in their rivalry a little bit because it wasn't just that Australian Open in twenty one where Sitsipas mm-hmm. turned the tables, but Sitsipas had match point in Barcelona. He saved match let court yes. That, that final was awesome it between was. those two. I don't think they've played since. Um, you remind yeah, me they, they haven't. Have. No, they haven't. So that's going to be close. And if Nadal's not quite himself and having to have to beat Medvedev in a tough match, it might be a step too far. Having said that, as I said, it is Rafael Nadal. We know what he's capable of, um, even at his current age. But the age is bringing that into question. I think if Medvedev has an early exit, then the dial's a bit fresh against Sitsi Pass, then it gets more interesting. Right. That's an interesting way to look at it. As far as early exits go, who amongst, like, let's say, the top 10 or top 12 seeds uh, is slash are most vulnerable to upsets? For me, there are three players who are the most vulnerable. Andre Rublev. Yes, of course. Dominic's team. Rublev. I don't like the form he's been in at the beginning of the year. Um, he's not really. I don't see. Like he's he's not he's not made that much of a an impact um, for me in terms of like form book. No, um, yeah, yeah. I think he lost to RBA in Adelaide one, lost to Kokinakis in Adelaide two, no. and then twenty twenty two was okay, but like it was a standard rubbish. I mean, like he was he, he was, was yes. He did what he had to do. Um, but yeah, I think was 2022 has to be probably because you could see that he's at least doing something in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Chilich going God mode in that, you know, deciding set tiebreaker at RG didn't help. Uh, mm. Rublev obviously took that on his chin. Um, any others, you know, would have probably just been extremely salty because that's also something really interesting for me and. It's also sad that, you know, another player who's missing from the main draws, Marin Cilic, uh, yes. made the second week you know, in every stand that he's played. He, you know, he played last year. He missed Wimbledon, of course, you know, after contracting COVID. Uh, pushed Alcaraz to five sets. He actually led Alcaraz by a break in the fifth set at the US Open. Um, I think Australian Open, yeah, he put up that absolute masterclass against Rublev. Um, you know, beat him in the third round, lost out narrowly to Felix, I would say. Um, he very much could have been two sets of love up there, and you just never know. Um, RG, again, I was surprised he didn't beat Rude. I was surprised because, especially considering how he started that match, 
and he just you know destroying Medvedev, he mopped the floor with him in the fourth round. Like that's one of those matches which you know as a as a huge Medvedev fan myself. Sure, I do like Chilich a lot. Not I'm not a fan of him particularly, fan of his particularly, but uh, I wasn't even mad because I knew that there was no chance for Medvedev. Like when someone plays that well, just gotta like hand it to them, right? He backs mm-hmm. it up against Rublev and he loses to Rude, of course. Who knows? He would, have, he would have probably made the final a lot more interesting if he got to the final instead of Rude at RG. And making the final of every slam is just amazing. I think outside of the big three in however uh, long, last two or three decades, it's only been Andy Murray to do it. So mm-hmm. that's just incredible, really, if he did manage yeah. to do that. I mean, there are players like Pete Sampras who haven't managed to do that, right? So, if Chilich would have, if Chilich could have, who knows what happens at RG this year. I thought, obviously, that was his best chance. But, anyway. Uh, right. So, I think, yeah, Rublev is one for sure. Yeah. Medvedev I mean, is probably Mark andrea Huesler in the second round. That could get tricky for sure. And he's potentially got quarter in round three. Some people are having quarter right. beating him. Um, I know John Silk from Talking Tennis has Corder beating him in round three. I think that's oh. optimistic for Corder, but um, it's possible. Right. Could be, yes. Uh, they um, did play... I do remember that they played each other in Bersin 21. Corder went up the set, but then I think it was... Yeah, it was one-way traffic for Medvedev. It was he ended up winning 4-6, 6-1, 6-3... Um, but I, I, yeah, I think maybe Korda doesn't beat him. Who does Medvedev? Yeah, Medvedev in the fourth round. I have Shapovalov getting to the fourth round. Same, right? Um, if it's Hurkacz, I don't see Shapovalov beating Medvedev. He's too consistent. Yeah, like <laughs> he's too consistent. consistent. Right. Yeah, yeah. is too consistent for Shapovalov. Like he'll just wait for Shapovalov to implode. Yeah. I mean, we, we watched that Vienna final. Shapovalov was actually excellent. Still, I mean, Medvedev also hit that purple patch. That deciding set. Um, just playing some unbelievable mind-numbing tennis. But, yeah, I, I think Medvedev should, you know, all things said and done, should get to the quarterfinal. At least. Couple. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, should get to the quarterfinals. Yeah. couple yeah. more players, top 10 players. And, um, Seeds, I think, are in danger. Felix. Right. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to go out in round one to Basak Pospisil. I think he's got a bit fortunate. Nothing against Pospisil. He's a very talented player, but he's not the thought he was about 10 years ago. Right. Um, um, in singles, anyway. Still a decent doubles player. Um, but he's got, in the second round, stat, potentially Stan Vavrinka. And I think Vavrinka is kind of healthy. He mm-hmm. had a solid showing at the United Cup. He pushed her back, even though he didn't win the match. He beat the blip. Um, I think if Felix is kind of in a down period right now. Yeah. And I I could see Vavrinka turning back the clock uh, a little bit and um, showing that former Australian Open champion and taking down a top 10 seed, possibly getting to the third or fourth round. Um, not further, but th- third or fourth round, but then taking out Felix 
So um, I I would put that on like popcorn match if that was to happen. I have Molchan beating Wawrinka just only because of the lefty formula, nothing else really. And so, yeah, I would say Molchan outside of a clay court doesn't have that great a record. On clay, absolute monster. Right. I haven't seen him do much off clay. Right, that's something to keep in mind. Yes, he did make two finals on clay. One of them he lost to Novak Djokovic, of course. In Belgrade 2 in 21, just you know, a week before Novak went on to win the RG for the second time. Um, and he also did push Djokovic for a set um, at RG last year in the second round. But yeah, I will see, you know, Wawrinka could might as well. Oh yeah, Hugo Gaston is, in, is one player. Uh, Corentin Mute. These are two players, again, lefties, um, you know, not as tall, I would say. that Not that that matters specifically, but let's just say lefties who have troubled Wawrinka in recent times. Nadal as well. I think Nadal and Wawrinka most recently played in Madrid 2019. Nadal just thumped him one and two. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just something to do with lefties that I think Wawrinka uh, has also struggled a bit. I, I don't know if I'm remembering this right or wrong. There were a few matches against Verdasco that he struggled as well. Lopez and other. Um, he did, yeah, he has beaten those two. I do know that. But then historically he struggled. And definitely, you know, he did mention explicitly that he has, oh yeah, he has Magnus Norman uh, back in his team. And these were his words. He said that, yeah, you know, for the final chapter, I should have, you know, Magnus on my side for sure. Um, which means the end could be near. I, you know, Vunch and I, we have uh, Wawrinka retiring possibly this season. I think he'll retire this season. Fabio Fornini, of course, dropped that retirement hint, you know, after losing in Auckland to Jensen Brooksby. Um, speaking of Brooksby, we possibly have Brooksby and Rude in the second round. However, I have Chris O'Connell beating Brooksby in the first round. I'm not sure if you have that as well, right? Yeah, I have that as well. I think um, I mean Brooksby looked all, has looked all right, but um, I'm starting to think he struggles outside of the US, and yeah. I think O'Connell's shown some like on his day he'll. Put in a good performance, and on I think O'Connell's actually from New Zealand. I don't think he's Australian. Uh, he's either Australian or from New Zealand, but kind of home turf either way. Right. Um, I think I could see him putting in a performance where he beats Brooksby and then comes on second. So I think, I think you and probably, I probably. Let me see. Um, I know that Curios and Kokinakis did beat an Aussie pair to win the Australian Open. It was Max Purcell and somebody else, probably Matt Abton. Matt oh, Ebden, right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, let's face it, from uh, men's and women's perspective, the right. Aussies don't have much hope. Like, their best hope for a title would be Kyrgios or the Special Ks um, yep. winning um, in the doubles again, or even Ebden and Purcell getting revenge and winning in the doubles. Uh, maybe Sam Stozer and um, Ebden winning on sort of her last hurrah. Right. Um, in as sort of as before she retires in the mixed doubles, um, but yeah, I would say that like title success, we're going to come in the doubles for the Australians. 
um, if they like, unless Kyrgios pulls something incredible out of the bag, um, right. which is going to be a step too far. Yeah, I think the way Kyrgios plays, Djokovic is a nightmare matchup for him. Right. Uh, so I, I just looked it up. Chris O'Connell is in fact from Australia. And okay. Like, yeah, I sorry, do remember. Chris. Yeah, I do remember watching a match of his. I think it was Miami twenty one or twenty two. He has a you know single island backhand, and that was one thing that stuck. I know Owen's not gonna like this. Hopefully, he doesn't pull the plug <laughs> on this uh, show for that. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I do remember that specifically, and he has a pretty aggressive game style. So Brooksby again, like you mentioned, it's not just outside of hard courts, but outside of the U.S. Just pretty much, you know, no show. Even if you look at the, you know, natural surfaces, he's he was just annihilated by every player he faced last year. Um, if you're getting thrashed by Bautista Agut on clay, there is a problem, right? Um, and then, obviously, I know he made the final in Newport in probably 2019. Or was it 21? Yeah, it was 21. He lost to Kevin Anderson. Uh, again, sure, that was grass, but again, it's Newport. Um, mm. So, outside of the US, it's really not that much, and I just don't see, especially against someone like Rude, and he is, you know, Brooksby is someone who he can throw things at you during a match, but once you figure him out, that we saw that we saw with Djokovic against him at the US Open a year and a half ago. Uh, yes, came out all guns blazing, 6-1. You know, there was that 19-minute-long uh, game at 3-1 where Djokovic got broken back for 3-2. And then since then, again, you know, Brooksby won four games or five games for the rest of the match. Uh, Djokovic is unfazed. And, you know, most of us would have thought, okay, you know, Djokovic uh, has his work cut out, but he just thumped him from there, really. Uh, he beat Tsitsipas. I know he almost beat Zverev as well in Acapulco, both of them last year. Uh, he beat Tsitsipas in Indian Wells again in the US. Um, yeah, so you know, again, uh, he did. And also, speaking of Indian Wells, he pushed Zverev to three sets in 21, uh, the edition that took place in October. Um, and yeah, he held match points against Zverev in Acapulco last year as well. That was the match that had the latest ever finish, I think. Uh, it was like... Or it was like the longest match at Acapulco, I remember that. And then obviously Zverev ended up getting disqualified from the tournament for what he did after losing in the doubles match. So... Um... um the... Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think. Um, is it danger of becoming in the um, the overhyped category? Um, I certainly think if, if he just beat O'Connell, I don't think he's beating Rude. I think Rude is yeah. too solid and too strong. Now I think he'll peak for Australia. He's he kind of he's a player who kind of has a bit of a lull ahead of a big event, and then mm-hmm. we'll peak when he needs to. I don't know whether he's going to be fourth round, quarter final, or semi final. I, I know I think he's I think he's going to lose to Berrettini, but would not be surprised if he turned the tables on that and and won right. and got to the semi finals as you're predicting. Mm-hmm. I'm said, I'm predicting a Berrettini semi final, uh, but just as easily could be Taylor Fritz um, right. in there as well. It's like one of those three is pretty close. 
Have um, they played each other? Um, Bertini and Fritz. Uh, they played at the United Cup. Oh yeah, they did. Um, yeah. In the, in the Fritz beat him in um two tie breaks. Right. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. But yeah, um, again, if that match yeah. the you know best of five, you just never know what happens. Fritz, yeah, I think Berrettini I... would turn the tables because the way tennis works is unless I don't I don't think Fritz has a particular matchup advantage over Berrettini. So my expectation is Berrettini will get him back next time they play. Right. Uh, that's true. That one. Um, yeah. um, but um, hey, it's it's very fine margins involved um, here. Um, just before we kind of wrap up the men mm-hmm. and talk a little about the, the women. Um, yes. The there was one. There's one other top ten player that I think I I I think is is quite hard to place. How far he's going to get? Mm-hmm. Um, because he could well crash out in round one. He could get to round three, or he could spring a surprise and make the quarterfinals. Mm. And that's Holger Rune. Yeah, um, he's got Philip Krajinovic in round one, who was a former Paris finalist and pushed Medvedev to five sets last year. Yeah. Um. He so that's a losable match for him. He is yes. Um, then it's a potential battle of the bad boys in round three with Kyrgios. Yeah. And if he got through that, mm. let's say he maximized potential, I don't keep the, having a rematch with Djokovic. And over five sets, I think Djokovic wins that one and avenges the Paris Masters. Yeah. Um, is an interesting thing to pick because I don't think he's played an Australian Open before. Could be wrong. Um, but I don't. I think this is his main draw debut in Australia. He's either his. He's either this for that or it's his second appearance. Probably, um, so, yeah. Probably did play last year. Um, don't remember. But I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. Now. Probably should look it up. Yeah. Um. But he. Um. So f- by that sort of metric, you know, it. You know, a new player on the scene could well spring a surprise and win the tournament because he's in that kind of category of. He's. Yeah, um, he lost in the first round last year, okay. according to Wikipedia. So second, second time in Australia, but still, like that's within the bounds of um, finding your feet last year and then coming in as a more experienced player and falling in love with the place. That's happened to many other players in the past. So um, I'm not saying Holger Rune is going to win the Australian Open or <laughs> like but, yep. uh, or anything like that, but I think he's one of those people that. You should watch as a dark horse, but at the same time, I also think is incredibly vulnerable. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I should agree. And you and I both have curious beating him. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a match. If and I do completely agree with you when you say that Krajinovic can definitely get the better of him, right? We at least we wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Uh, yeah. I was struggling to pick between him and Krajinovic in the first round as I was filling out the bracket for the fantasy. Um, I did go with Holger Rune. I have him making the third round. I think at this stage of his career, handling someone like Kyrgios, handling the crowd being completely partisan, completely in favor of Nick, um, it's not something... Yeah, it's not something... He can get get through is what I feel uh, would be interesting if you just never know, right? They could very much clash as well, much like 
curious clash with Tsitsipas or the other way around, let's say, at Wimbledon last year. Uh, that could very much happen. These are two players who can, you know, easily get let the let their temper get the better of them. Um, but yeah, be a messy match, I think. yeah, it could it definitely happens. be a messy match. But once Curious gets that, and obviously I have team beating Rublev and losing to Max Purcell. Uh, so yeah, maybe I I don't know who I have in the fourth round. I have Evans, yeah, Evans in the fourth round. Yeah, losing to that could happen, right? Um, but. Yeah, Evans Evans is an interesting situation because actually he's got himself quite a good draw. He had a quite a good United Cup once he got going and recovered from his illness. Mm-hmm. Um I like I could see a scenario given Curious is coming in with very little match practice where Evans again I don't think Evans would be that bothered by a crowd being against him. I think he quite he might wouldn't mind being the bad guy. Look at how he is in Davis Cup. Yeah, I could see Evans just taking it and taking down Kyrgios, and then suddenly you've got an Evans Djokovic quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I think that's completely plausible to me. And before you accuse me of British bias, I don't think I've ever put Dan Evans in the quarterfinal of any bracket ever, right. including this <laughs> of a slam anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, never know. Uh, he could get the better of Kyrgios if you know things do go a bit south for Nick. But like I said, I think he's in one of those moods where I see him getting to the quarterfinal, but Djokovic is definitely ending his run there. There were a couple of matches I did want to talk about. Um, interesting fact, Felix is playing Pospisil, and Pospisil is the player, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he scored his first win on the ATP Tour against. It was Indian Wells 2018. Um, yeah, that being said, there are a few other... I think first round matches. Nadal versus Draper, of course, um, and we had you know Murray and Berrettini. Yes, um, yeah. it's you know as sad as it is for anybody who would be backing Andy Murray. I do see Berrettini, you know, coming out on top, but this time I think that match goes five sets. Um, yeah, it's just, again, it's hard to predict with Andy because you just don't know which version of him is going to show up. But I hope, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I'll say that I wouldn't, uh, I, I would be happy for him if he does win against Matteo. Although that does look, uh, I think Berrettini has the advantage as far as recent matchups go. Uh, he's won their last, I want to say, last three matches. It was Queens in 21, Stuttgart last year, that final, and the US Open as well last year. Um, so it definitely has the edge there. Um, there was someone else I did want to talk about, but completely slipping my mind. Olgarun. Um, but while you're thinking of that, um, I think, yeah, you're, um, it's, yeah, it's a, I, I want Murray to win. Again, not just British bias. Um, I've been really emotionally invested in Andy's journey in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, like regardless of where he's from, um, there are just certain players where you feel that. Mm-hmm. Um Berrettini is a horrible matchup for him. I think Berrettini has been his nemesis since his comeback from hip surgery. And to be honest, although I really want Andy to turn the tables in that rivalry, and I think he can. Mm-hmm. I don't see it happening here. 
because Berrettini is in such good form. Um, right. Okay, he's lost his last couple of matches, but they were close. Mm-hmm. Um, and Berrettini has definitely made some improvements to his game. And yeah, I mean, look, Andy Murray is a three-time Grand Slam champion. He's a five-time Australian Open finalist. He could, he he has this talent and the ability to tap into it and overcome and and so yep. if it happened, I would be overjoyed. Like my head is telling me that. Yeah, right. So there are a few things I did want to talk about. One is Dimitrov and Karatsev in the opening round. It was the quarterfinal mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, Zverev, I think probably have to talk about. I have Gofan beating him in the second round. That's definitely possible. Um, I just don't think Zverev is ready. He did lose convincingly in both of the matches that he played at the United Cup. One was to Yuri Lehechka and the other one was to Taylor Fritz, of course. Um, and yeah, who do you have making the fourth round amongst Tiafo or Hachinov? Or do you have somebody else? Oh, yeah, Tiafo. Okay, interesting. I have Hachinov just because, you know, I think they played twice at Wimbledon. Um, one, yeah, it was... Both of them third rounds, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. both third, 2018 and 21. 2018, Hachinov got through Tiafo in five sets, lost to Djokovic in the fourth round. 21 was the year Tiafo just, you know, pummeled Sitsipas in the opening round, made it to the third round, lost to Hachinov, and Hachinov did lose to Shapovalov in the quarterfinal, got past Korda. Uh, there was that deciding set where you they were just exchanging breaks the whole time. Um, yeah, I have Hachinov making the fourth round. This is the only slam where he's not made the second week. So I think he will eventually make the second week. Nadal beats him, I feel. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much the men's draw covered. I'm guessing both of us have Novak Djokovic winning the Australian Open. Right. So, yeah, with that, uh, with that being said, I think we have uh, covered pretty much all of the men's draw. Let us know if we missed out on any player, or any key matchup. Uh, yeah, or, or I think before we proceed, we should talk about the potential Musetti versus Sinner third round. If that even happens, because they're both injured, right? Well, both, yeah, because like Musetti pulled out the end of the United Cup injured. Sinner had that injury in Adelaide. Um, yeah, they both should have had Yeah, yeah. To, they both have the like. Hopefully, they both pulled out early enough that they could do rehab and be back in time. But Sinner and injuries is a concern. The second injury is a concern. Like if they play each other, Sinner wins that match. I feel, mm-hmm. but I think there's a question, and I have them in my bracket when I've done the bracket getting that far because I'm just going to assume they're healthy. But yeah. because of that question mark, it may not even happen. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I have Sinner beating Muzetti and Sitsipas getting the better of Sinner. Yeah, should be a closer match than last year's quarterfinal. I think that was definitely one of Sitsipas's best ever performances. But yeah, hopefully there's a better match just for tennis' sake. Um, yeah, with that being said, let's move on to the women's drop. We have so I, I would say my top favorites would be, I mean, number one is clear. I think for both of us, it's the same player, Iga Shuantek. But 
Number two, I just wonder who it is. Um, obviously, it's a huge blow that Paula Badosa withdrew, along with Alia Tomjanovic. Both of them withdrawing. Um, Tomjanovic simply because, you know, home hope is gone. Badosa is, you know, one of the top players on the women's tour. And obviously, not having her there is a bummer. Um mm-hmm. Naomi Osaka, of course, not playing the Australian Open, announcing her pregnancy recently. Uh, we w- wonder if she does make it, you know, back to Melbourne next year. Two-time champion, right? Um, yeah. Other than that, Jessica Pegula is a player I think, you know, everyone's talking about right now, just because of that performance against Shiontek. I think it was 6-2, 6-2 that she beat her with the scoreline that she beat her with at the United Cup. I didn't watch that match. Um, let me see. It's not because I, I couldn't. I do have a subscription to Tennis TV. And it's, for the first time ever, you know, there were women's matches going on in Tennis TV. That being said, I just happened to wake up to the result. So um, what are your thoughts about that match, first off? I mean, I missed it as well, live, because of the time zone I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't possible for me to watch. Um, from what, going back and looking at uh, what I could, um, the, there were about three factors at play. One was Gula was peaking and she was mm-hmm. playing her best and Eager wasn't able to play her near her best. Um, and so in that situation, Kugula is a much better tennis player than I think a lot of people create credit for, even though she is the world number three. I still think a lot of people underrate her. Um, I believe that she is a bit like um, an Andre, maybe not quite an Andre Rublev, but um, maybe like a Medvedev type. Like you have to play your, they set the standard for what the eventual win is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. And I think um, that's what she's going to bring. And I think Gula brought that and them some in that match. Mm-hmm. Though she probably would have won anyway. Iga Sviantek, due to a couple of things um, not going her way. So Gula being a bit more used to conditions. It was a different venue for Iga, whereas Gula had been playing there for about a week. Um, and Sviantek also having really bad travel problems. Like they literally arrived less than a day before the match. Um, that's so rough. Not a lot of prep time. Um, so I, I think Pagula might have still won that match if Iga had been in better shape. Um, right. But um, And and Shiontek did say afterwards that she was frustrated that she couldn't bring anywhere close to her match, which is why she was crying afterwards. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just out of yeah frustration. So um, I don't see that being um, an issue in Australia. I think Iga will have had plenty of time to prepare. Yep. Get fit, get uh, get ready. Um, a lot of people are talking about her draw being rough on paper. Yeah, she's playing um, Hule Niemeyer in the first round, a player who pushed her to three sets of the US Open. Um, what I would say is I think Sviantek will be start tournaments really strongly, um, whereas fourth rounds tends to have a bit of a wobble. Like um, So... Um, she wasn't playing well, but Nima wasn't playing well enough to take advantage of that. 
Um, yeah. We just watched Keontek ended up winning that US Open match. Is that uh, was that match where she was down a set in a break? Yes, and then okay. steps. Yeah. Um, Nimai is quite an inconsistent player. I think uh, I'm trying to think of an ATP. An ATP equivalent would be like someone who hits the ball pretty hard but ends up missing quite a bit. Right. Um, so. Um, yeah, um, kind of like Sha- that's, that's why I thought of like a little like Shapovalov, except right. a little flashy, but. Mm-hmm. Very talented, nonetheless. I think she's got a good career ahead of her. She's only 21. Um, then Sviantec has potentially got fourth round meeting with either Elena Rabakina or Danielle Collins, both of which would be rough. That's, that's the point where she's going to be weakest. Um, but here's what I'll say Rabakina is hard to predict what kind of level she'll bring. Um, and seems to only really perform like at pop pop level one tournament per year at the Drake. Um, a bit like oh gosh, who is it who does that? On, a bit like maybe like a mm-hmm. um, uh, and Collins has an injury concern. She's a little bit more inconsistent, and I think Biontech has a thing where she'll take revenge against players. Um, yeah, and we've Collins seen that been... against Halep at RG twenty twenty. Um, yes, yeah. she did lose to Collins in the semis last year. I expect yeah. her to. I mean, you know, it's not being said enough that Shriantek was at her at best at her C plus level at the Australian Open last year. Um, was it Krejcikova she played against in the quarterfinal? Kanapi. Oh, Kanapi, right? No, Krejcikova played somebody else. I don't remember who Keys. was it. Keys, Keys. yeah, Keys who lost to Barty, right? Um, yeah, it was to Kanepi, and she was far from her best in that match. She was far from her best against Kirstia uh, as well in the fourth round. Mm. She was, I think, struggling in you know a couple of matches prior to that as well. Uh, so I was not really surprised when she lost handily to Collins in the semis. Uh, and I do think if she did make the final to, against Barty in that form, she would have been slaughtered. Uh, yes. If she did play in the form that she played with from Doha all the way to RG, it would have been a different story. Um, but yeah, I think, you, you know, she was really not at her best. So I do want to see, uh, hopefully, you know, everything comes together for her so we can see her best. Yeah. And, again, and again, if you look at sort of the narrative, Shkiontek's progress in Australia has been really strong. She was fourth round in 2021, mm-hmm. semi-final in 2022. If you make yep. logic, she's going to make two steps. Mm-hmm. The title in 2023. Right. Um, I I think that by the time she gets late into a tournament, she has enough momentum behind her yep. if she performs. Um, that it, certainly as she's been since Australian Open last year to eventually to eventually win it. And if you if a player Peter, they're going to have to bring it better. I'm thinking of sort of examples from the end of last season on the WTA Tour. Our striker final against Krajikova. Krajikova brought an incredible level to put her down and Shiontek still saved multiple match points before Krajikova finally closed it out. Right. And then uh, in um, uh, and the um, WTA finals, semi-final against Sabalenka, Shiontek did Shviontek kind of lost concentration during that match. So that's the that's the one thing I would say. But I do think that in a grand slam, she's going to be a bit more maybe focused, sort of 
Um, I think there were some things maybe bothering her in Fort Worth, whereas I, I still have her as the favourite. I mean, I do have a poll up on my Twitter as of um, now, which kind of has, I ask people, you know, who um, who wins, uh, who, do you have Chiontek or someone else as your mm-hmm. favourite for the W for the title? And Chiontek is at 46%, someone else is 54 but I think someone else would be split up quite handily between a number of people. So I think Chiontek is the favourite. She's not a heavy favourite. I think there are legitimate question marks around her. Right. And she's not, she's proven not to be unbeatable anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would say that um, I would say if she comes in with even um, an A minus game, she she wins the title against I think yeah. I just probably mentioned heavy favorite because considering the unpredictability that we've seen in the WTA tour, favorite sometimes mm-hmm. translates to heavy favorite, and someone yeah. who's really reliable would be Iga Shiontek. Mm-hmm. Um, Pegula, probably number two at this point, because I still don't know what the deal with Ons Jabber is. She's also quite susceptible to injuries from time to time. Um, I'm not sure what her draw is like. Does she have a good draw? Or draw? It's an okay draw. I mean, she's got potential bananas against Marketa von Drocheva in round two, Olympic silver medalist. Um, Roland Garros finalist from 2020, no, 2019. Um, uh, Jabir's draw is okay. Um, I think if she's fine, she can make the most of it. Um, I would say looking at the at the form book, um, it was when I was coming together with like ranking uh, the the potential contenders. Um, there were it was Shviontek, and then there were four players fighting for second place. And you've mentioned two of them already: Pagula and Jabir, plus. Caroline Garcia and Arena Sabalenka. Right. Um, and actually, I have Arena Sabalenka reaching the final against Igor Shviontek, as do quite a lot of other people, as far as I can tell. Some people even have Sabalenka beating Shviontek in the final. I think Nerf will get the better of Sabalenka in that, in that scenario. Um, but um, I think Sabalenka looked very impressive. The way she won Adelaide was yep. very... Like it was like 2022 never happened. It was like the 2021 Sabalenka. Adelaide is a good predictor of uh, form um, for Australia. We saw Barty winning it last year. Um, in previous years, sort of, and we saw Adelaide. Sabalenka throwing in, um, you know, 15 double faults every match and throwing in yeah. underarm serves. And then from there, she's come to. You know, I mean, she did lose that really close semifinal to Shriontek at the U.S. Open. Must have been a gutting loss. Um, lost the final to Garcia as well at the WTA finals. Again, it should have been mm-hmm. tough because she did beat Shriontek and then she still doesn't win. Uh, you know, one of the biggest titles on the tour. Anyway, I think, I still think, you know, she is winning a Grand Slam soon. Probably this yes. year. Uh yeah, she's not been to a final yet, has he? Has she? No, she's never made a Grand Slam final. She's been to two semi-finals, Wimbledon in twenty twenty one, and well, three semi-finals. And because right, the US Open as well, she lost to Leila Fernandez. Um, yeah, before that was Plushkova, right in the semis. Yeah, yeah. So all of them, she lost in three sets. Um, it it would be probably I could see that final between her and Shviontek going. She has three. set up in all of them. 
Uh, I don't remember. Um, I, don't I know, should she look that up. I do remember she was a setup, probably against Liskova. Um, Sabalenka. Yeah. Well, while you're while you're looking that up, I mean, I will right. say that you know I am obviously making an assumption that Sabalenka, because Sabalenka, Garcia, and Jibber are all in the bottom half of the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sabalenka would need to potentially beat Jibber and. Garcia to get to the final. I think Jabir with that injury question mark isn't that much of a stretch. And on a hard call, I think Sabalenka probably could overpower her um, despite the variety she brings. And I don't want to do one super down because she's a legitimate type contender and she's world number two. Um, it's just that injury concern that's bothering me a little bit. Because um, uh, especially off um, 2022, she was looking pretty good in Adelaide until she reached the semi-finals and then seemed to pull something against Noscular. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Garcia is a dark horse because she's the only other player on the WTA tour I can think of whose top level is anywhere close to Shvion Vex. Um, and uh, sort of sort of that level she produced sort of in the American hard court season and then at the WTA finals um, was super impressive. We haven't had an awful lot of chart opportunities to see that in this Australian hard court swing, but yeah. it's there, it's lurking, and I can mm-hmm. see her. Um, being uh, definitely making at least the semi finals. Um, so Garcia is another one to watch out for, right? So, you know, while you were um providing us with that information, I did look it up. She was up a set in two of those semi finals, she was not up a set against Fernandez, but she was up a set against Pliskova and against Fiontech. So, still, um, that's something. Left to be desired, I guess, if you're Sabalenka. Um, but by Sabalenka, the few Coco Goff, of course, we you know can't forget, did win a title herself in Auckland. Um, again, you know, I think you, me, and Miles, we spoke about Grand Slam's success being around the corner for her. Um, it seems like she's been around for a while, but she's just about to turn 19. She has so many years left and she's not even peaked. So, and she's already shown that she's a, you know, top 10 player uh, with her results. Um, you know, and she's pretty surface versatile as well. Um, you know, she can, her, her game translates to any surface. Um, maybe, uh, as far as the slams go, I guess her performances on the natural surfaces are a bit better, maybe, than on hard courts. Um, but see, so far, that obviously could change. But uh, yeah, how is her draw looking? Um, her draw is. Um, look, do I don't have all this memorized. I don't right. have my device. I could probably pull it. For it. But I have her going to the quarterfinals and she be on tech. Um, I think Goff has gotten a, a great amount of momentum behind her. Um, after that winning that Auckland title, yes, the quality of opposition there wasn't like the same as, say, Sabalenka faced when she won Adelaide mm-hmm. um, or Enkic winning Adelaide this week as well. Um, but it's momentum, it's match wins. Um, she had a very good 2022 and she's not a strange success in Australia. She did beat Naomi Osaka in 2020. Right. In, um, kind of reversal of that. 2019 match. Yeah, US Open. Yes, I remember that. Um, yes. She did beat Osaka in another match. Which one was it? It was pretty recently. 
Um, uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, with Osaka's current form, that probably wasn't that big a surprise. Um, right, yeah. No offence to, to anyone. Um, although, um, just to say, no, congratulations to her on her, on her pregnancy. Super happy for her. I think she seems to be over the moon about the idea of um, being a mother. And uh, well, and hope that all goes well. Yep. Uh, uh, but yeah, right. Um, I think another player I should talk about just because she's in Shiontech section, um, and also very popular on TT. Uh, I think you can see where I'm going. Oh, uh, no. with this Bianca Andrescu. Okay, that wasn't where I thought you were going. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, never mind. So we have we could have Andrescu and Shiontech in the third round. It's not impossible because. Andrescu in the first round. Uh, qualifier, mm-hmm. either way, if she gets past the first round. Either Christina Buxa or Eva Lees. Um, yes. Um, or Eva Lees um, did impress in Stuttgart last year. Um, Eva, my bad, right. Yeah, has had a, a few... I actually don't know how to pronounce. Um, right. But uh, Probably uh, Eva. Or Eva, or you know, either way. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, continue. right. Um, um, I would say yes. Although Andrescu, you know, you would imagine has a good chance against Pushkova. What I would say is Andrescu doesn't have a great Australian Open record. Mm-hmm. Um, did crash out of Adelaide a little bit, and um, Pushkova did also start twenty twenty three kind of similarly, if not a little bit better. Um, for the Czech team in the United mm-hmm. Cup. Um, she's also. Grand Slam quarter finalist now, um, WTA um, 1000 semi finalist, 250 winner. Um, so I actually have Bushka for winning that one, um, I think. Um, right. And then meeting Schmutzig in the third round. Having said that, I agree with you. I think that one could be very close, and they wouldn't be surprised to have Andrescu meeting Schliontek. What I would say is, I, again, Andrescu is one of those players that we know what her top level looks like, but we haven't seen it from her for a very long time. Right. Like with a um, so I think that's the one kind of caution I would put on that. But hey, Andrescu is someone I would love to do well um, again uh, because you know game style, great personality. Um, I I think that she would. Uh, I think a lot of people, including myself, would be very happy to succeed. Oh, the person I thought you were going to talk about was Yelena Ostapenko. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Before we get to Ostapenko, uh, I just you know looked up this stat which says that outside of the US Open Andrescu has not been past the second round at any slam. Yeah, exactly. So um, she's, that... she's a bit like Benson Brooksby, except Brooksby somehow won a slam when he was 19. Um... <laughs> right. Or, or say Hurkacz, uh, aside from Wimbledon and RG. Yeah. Right, he made the fourth round in RG. Uh, hasn't been past the second round on a hardcore slam. Which is nuts to think of, considering uh, his hardcore resume. Anyway, we won't go there. Um, we have covered the men's draw enough, I guess. But yeah, yeah I mean, Andrescu is still, I guess, forty six is. Wait, is she still forty six in the world? Yeah, she's um, still top fifty. Okay, that's that's decent. Um, yeah. So she's she's only one or two big performances away from being back to being a seeded player, at least in a main draw, that's a start um, at a slam. But, right, uh, 
Ostapenko, I think he's top 15, unless she's slipped further. Uh, yeah, she is top. She's uh, 17th seed. 17th. Um, so okay. she's still top 20, like borderline top 15, 16. I think there's been okay. shifting around the, the rankings. Which, I mean, like, Ostapenko is just hard to I think she's going to make fourth round, but that's only because Bedosa pulled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bedosa was in that section. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but equally, she's playing Diana Yastremska, who's another power player and could frustrate her um, as well. So, uh, literally, Ostapenko is one of those players, like her top level is good enough to get her deep into tournaments. But right. if her brain's not engaged, then she could crash out round one, round two. So, I don't really want to read too much into Ostapenko. I just thought that's where you were going. He does have a bit of a cop following on, uh, on his Twitter. Yeah, Ostapenko, again, it's it's really hard to predict on paper because nobody ever had her winning a slam, especially when she did and yet, right? So, uh, Ostapenko, I think there are definitely a few players. At least I am missing Krejcikova. Um not sure what her draw is like. Krajikova isn't... I'm having a look at it now. Because um, I do... She, she's looking all right. She's she's a dangerous force out there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in the same section as Kvitova, I think, because I have... Um, so it's top half of the draw. Find it. Here we go. Kvitova. Yeah, Krajikova. So she's got um, a decent drop until... Round three, where she could be playing Kvitova, and that's going to be a close one, I think. Kvitova's mm. in really good form, and I would put in the, the dark horse category, like if mm-hmm. Patrick Kvitova was holding the Australian Open trophy, mm-hmm. would not be surprised. She had a very good United Cup. She started off by beating Jessica Pagula. She seems to have regained a little bit of her mojo, and she's a former finalist. So I would I, I would not... I think she's coming in as kind of... I, I put as ninth favourite, mm-hmm. um, but definitely in there, but Krajikova is playing well enough that she could definitely stop in her tracks in round three, um, yeah. for sure. Um, the question then is sort of what happens after that, that point. I think she'd then have to run into Pagula in round One of them would have to deal with Pagula in round four. Um, and given the form Pagula's in, that would probably be a stretch too far for both the players. But then again, if they did beat Pagula, suddenly I would say, hmm, that's potential title winning form. They did achieve mm-hmm. that. All right. Uh, somebody else. Muguruza, I know, is unseeded. Yeah. <laughs> Muguruza, I don't know when the last time she won a match was or won back-to-back matches. Um, she's not much. I think she has a bit of a nightmare first round as well. Yeah, she's got Elise Mertens in round one. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a solid player. Now, Mert- Mertens did pull out of Adelaide with an injury. So maybe she might be a bit um, vulnerable, but even if she got through a vulnerable Mertens, she'd have to deal with Lauren Davis, who just won the Hobart title, or Danka Kovinic, who's got some match wins under her, and took us for off the court. So um, I I don't see Mo. I I think Mogarutha gets to round one if she's lucky, doesn't get further than that. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) That yeah, that pretty much sums up. You know, state of affairs as far as Muguruza is concerned. I was just curious as to uh, where exactly in the draw she is. Um, I guess it's good that she didn't get a terribly difficult opening round, but you know, who knows? 
Mugruda can make anything look terribly difficult. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's, I mean, that 2020 final still stings because, you know, she had that amazing run to the final. It was 2-all, love 40. Kennan comes up with that insane hold. And she goes on to win from that. Mugruda doesn't win a game. It was 6-2, I think, the decider. 4-6-6-2-6-2. Yeah, that 20-21. Oh, yeah, match points up against Osaka. Third round. Like, if if Mugruda converted those match points, I think she'd have won the title. Could have, yeah. I mean, looking at that draw and... Yeah, well, Serena in the semis, good matchup generally for Muguruza, right? She did beat her twice at slams. Um, I think it was RG2014, second round, RG2016, the final. Um, yeah, she did lose the Wimbledon final. I think it was... It was close. 20, it was pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. It was, and wasn't Serena five love up in the second set before she won 6-4? Yeah. yeah. Right. I remember those because, you know, I still am, of course, a huge Muguruza fan. But those are things I guess you're supposed to remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, you just never know, right? Australian Open has just been... Last year, I know she lost the second round. Just whatever. Um, who did she lose to again? I think it was Cornet? Uh, yeah, it might have been. But a lot of people were losing to Cornet, to be fair. Cornet's <laughs> yeah. Coco Goff, uh, Iga Shiontek. I think somebody yeah. else. Uh, I mean, and... I as a as a Leila Fernandez fan, my heart sank when I realized she'd drawn Cornet in round one. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's going to be tough uh, for Leila this year. I think. Right. Um, uh, someone and uh, you were asking about Coco Goff's draw earlier. Um, mm-hmm. There's a potential kind of, I would say, next gen blockbuster. If they got through their opening matches, round two against Emma Raducanu. Oh. I mean, I'd say Goff would still be the favourite for that one, and then possibly round three against John Kin Wen, who is another player that a lot of people are mm-hmm. rightfully making a fuss about. But yeah, I think I could imagine Raducanu Goff being a night match. A lot yep. of people will be interested in seeing that. Yep. Or late afternoon. Should be. Uh, interestingly, Medvedev against. Who is he playing in the first round again? I just, how can I yeah. not remember this? You, you could, uh, listeners will probably notice that it's getting late in Dubai. If, um, right, it is. Which is why I'm forgetting. Yeah, Marcus Giron, right. That's a night match oh. as well yeah. on Rod Labour, which is tough. interesting. But, a bit tough, but, yeah. I could see Giron pushing him to a couple of tie breaks. Mm-hmm. Could see, yeah. Um, but. Giron against that player who he probably will try to throw the kitchen sink at Medvedev, but Medvedev, if he's solid enough, he's playing well enough. Yeah. yeah. And Medvedev against Americans only ends one way anyway. So he has a really good record against Americans, especially his, you know, punching bag McDonald is one. He did beat Cressy as well last year. Uh Quite a few in Corda, Tiafo, you know, so many players. He's, I don't even know if he's lost, um, you know, a match to an American. Isner, uh, he's lost to Pelka, I know that, but pretty much owns American tennis players. But that being said, uh, so yeah, I guess my 
my prediction for the women's would be Shiontek because I don't really feel adventurous to predict somebody else. Um, yeah, I'm saying I I'm Shiontek title. Um, I think things are although on the on the paper things might be difficult for her. I I think things will fall into place for her, and I do think mm-hmm. what she brings is a step above most of the rest right. of the females bring bar a few who on the day um could challenge but um yeah for me it's um it, it would be eager um i just before we wrap up i just want to throw three i'm not going to explain why necessarily unless you ask but three dark horse names um out there as sort of watch out they could go pretty deep um and they are maria sakari madison keys and belinda bench Right. Um, I think those three are very much danger players in the mix. Um, in addition to uh, who I mentioned earlier, um, yeah, my top ten. Yeah, Sakuri, Yeah, for sure, should be there. Um, dark horse, but you know the only, I guess, Achilles heel is, you know, just stepping it up when it matters in the biggest of stages for her. Benchich, of course, always. You know, she's always going to be lurking. Um, is what about Trevisan? PT just does not like her. So, Trevisan, yeah. Well, okay. So the people who don't like Trevisan are now the people who are Stefanos Tsitsipas slash Sakari slash Greece fans. Okay. Um, because of how she beat Maria Sakari and how happy she was about it, which I think is just petty. Um, I just think Trevor Sanderson was just enjoying herself on the court. That match, Trevor Sanderson was playing the best she's ever done on a hard court, like ever. Um, traditionally, she's more of a clay court player. She's won clay titles. She's won the Royal Guard semi-finals last year. She's been a quarter finalist twice. She's more of a clay court player, um, which is another reason like people just underrate her. Basically, just think she's fluked her way to the top thirty. I think she's a very talented player, but very streaky. She will suddenly turn up and bring a bring a level that you're not quite um, expecting. Um, a bit like Marco Cecchinato, but better and more consistent. Marco Cecchinato reached that one Roland Garros semi final and didn't do much else, whereas Trevi San has a bit more to her CV than Cecchinato. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. Well, I guess that wraps it up. Our predictions, at least, you know, mine and Nick's, are Novak Djokovic is the men's champion and Iga Shiontek is the women's champion of the 2023 edition of the Australian Open. Um, you know, regardless of who we think are going to win, know that, you know, we're in for some really, you know, feisty firecracker matches in both draws. At least we hope. Um yeah. Also, I think uh, we could have Kokinakis and Berrettini in the second round. We forgot to probably mention that. Uh, another popcorn encounter on the horizon. Um, popcorn, right. Uh, anyway, uh, that being said, um, you know, it was glad to be back doing this with Nick, of course. We missed our other co-host, Jethro, who will be back with us soon. Uh you know, this it feels great to be uh, back recording for the show, um, you know, after a much needed break, as we mentioned. And uh, 
as always, thanks, Nick, for joining me and, you know, having this in-depth discussion on the Australian Open. And, you know, let's hope to enjoy the action and we'll see you all soon. Thanks, everyone.